Listen up, real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and agents. You're in the right place. Unlocking the secrets to real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Welcome to the Titanium Vault, hosted by RJ Bates III. Here's RJ. Hello and welcome to the Titanium Vault. I'm your host, RJ Bates. Today I'm sitting down with Brad Woodall. Brad, how are you doing? Good. How are you, RJ? Man, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us and share your story and your business with us. Uh, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do in real estate investing? Yeah, so uh, I'm Brad Woodall. I'm, uh, I live, I'm, I'm in the Atlanta market. I, I live north of Atlanta, but I kind of cover most of the northern metro Atlanta area. If anyone's ever been to Atlanta, it's a pretty big sprawling metro area college wise just kind of like like you and in, in dallas yep. uh, worth area so yeah um and then in terms of what i do um i um i'm a full-time real estate investor I actually went full-time at it this year uh quit my corporate job in january yay yeah <laughs> great feeling man it's a little scary but 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 right. now it's, it's paying off so um and uh, I, I mostly wholesale. Um, my company name is uh, Arborview Properties, um, and I started that up in 2016. And uh, mostly wholesale. We do some wholesales. I got a couple fix and flips. Well, one we're buying today, and we got another one underway right now. But we mostly wholesale stuff, um, and uh, that's kind of what we're doing there uh, in terms of the business. That's so. awesome. So I, I, I have to admit, I love Georgia. Uh, my sister went to, to school in, in Georgia, close to Atlanta. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's, it's like North Georgia State and College University. It had like every name that you could possibly have for a college up in Dahlonega, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, in Dahlonega, up in the mountains. That's probably about, since I'm in, I'm about 40 miles north of Atlanta is where I live, kind of getting up towards the mountains. So Dahlonega is probably about, probably about an hour hour drive from me yeah. so as a kid my sister's 10 years older than me so as a kid we would go visit her and i just kind of fell in love with georgia from my time being out there it's absolutely beautiful um it's funny uh, i can hear you're sitting out on the porch i can hear the birds chirping in the background that's just that's awesome man you know here in texas it's already like 95 degrees so there's no way in the world i'd be sitting out on the porch doing an interview <laughs> I'd, I'd be dripping with sweat afterwards so uh, yep. so you, you talked about your, you know, you made that career change. Now you're full-time in the real estate investing. What kind of spurred that and, and made you make that, that jump to start real estate investing full-time? You know, I was just kind of burned out on the corporate world. I started working in corporate when I was like 18, like I was still in high school and kind of got a part-time job at a company, at a ba big bank. And just kind of worked my way through corporate. I mean, I worked full time through college. Went to, you know, it took me about almost six years to graduate college because I was working full time through that, and right. just did corporate for years. And I just, I'm not a cubicle person. I just like my soul died every day. <laughs> I was <laughs> cubicle, you know, and I like being outside, which is why I'm outside right now. I mean, now the right. weather's up, I work outside on my porch like every day. I haven't even been downstairs in my office in like <laughs> two weeks. That's awesome. So, so, so you, you didn't like the corporate world. What drew you to real estate investing? You know, I always liked real estate. You know, I, um, 
growing up, I had uh, like family that were in the trades and family that were builders. And, um, you know, growing up, my mom and dad were always like kind of DIYers. Every year, we always did some big project on the house to remodel the house. You know, I was, you know, I was laying tile when I was like 12 years old. And like, I mean, I learned how to do all that stuff. So I always liked that like renovation aspect of real estate. I liked houses and architecture and stuff like that. And then I bought my first house when I was 21 years old. Um, and I bought it in October of 2007. And we all know that how that turned out. I was going right. to live there for a couple of years and then sell it. And then I ended up living there for eight and a half years before I could sell it. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, so yeah, I just always liked it. And I guess probably about 2005 ish, you know, when house flipping was crazy right before the crash, I started reading a couple books and I was watching all the TV shows on house flipping. And, and, and as we know, once you get into it, there's a heck of a lot more to real estate investing than just house flipping. So, right. um, that's kind of what got me into it, but I never really did anything until just a few years ago. So, so obviously you know, wholesaling had to be the strategy that you wanted to get started with. And, and I'm the same way when I, you know, I had, I had my general contracting business and I thought I wanted to flip houses. And the more research that I did, I found out about wholesaling and I was like, this seems like the best place to get your start. And because of the no money, you know, you don't need a ton of cash to get started like you do if you're going to be fixing and flipping. Um, which now later on you you learn that you don't necessarily need a ton of cash to flip houses either. But kind of walk me through what started you wanting to get into wholesaling. Was there a particular book or a person that drew you to that strategy? Uh, you know, I think it was podcasts. I, I'm I'm a podcast junkie, although I don't listen to them as heavily now that I'm not working corporate anymore and commuting every day. But before, I mean, I was heavy on podcasts. I think. The very first podcast I started listening to was Bigger Pockets. You know, I yeah. think everybody did. And then, and then I kind of, I guess, graduated into some other ones like Joe McCall's podcast. He really spurred me to take a lot of action. I was listening to Ken Corsini's Deal Farm a lot. Yeah. Um, Ken and I have grown to be pretty good friends over the years, and we've done some deals together because he's local in this market. He's an investor fueled us. Yep. And, um, you know, I just started consuming podcasts like crazy. And originally, I wanted to do fix and flip. And then as I, learned about wholesaling i was like well this is kind of cool like it's fast money it's not a lot of risk involved per se and you know it, obviously it takes money for marketing you learn that pretty quickly that if you right. want to scale you better be marketing so um so yeah that's kind of how i got into wholesaling i just i kind of grew to like it you know right so let's talk about that gap between now and, and 2016. You said you started, you know, your company back in 2016. What did, what were you doing? Were you wholesaling part time during that time or, or were you kind of just waiting to make the change? You know, like in 2015, I was making like a lot of offers on houses. Like at that time, there were still a few REOs left in the area. And I have a family member who's a real estate agent. So she was making offers for me on houses. You know, I was probably making, I don't know, four or five offers a week on stuff and just kind of dabbling in it. And then, and then I realized like, okay, after listening to podcasts, I've got to, I've got to do marketing. So I started, I, you know, set up my LLC and I started marketing and in, in about mid, it was about April of 2016, April, May, somewhere in there. And, um, just started marketing, uh, doing, um, I was sending out just very small batches of postcards because I didn't have, you know, a lot of money at that time to put into it. 
Um, and I was just kind of giving it a try and then just kind of slowly, you know, I only did one deal in 2016, uh, towards the end of the year. Oh, well, I, I had another deal that I lost some money on, but I learned, <laughs> I learned to eat a $5,000 non-refundable earnest money deposit on a deal towards the end of 2016. So that was fun. You learn, you take your licks, right? So, um, but anyways, yeah, so that's kind of what I did and, and I just started marketing and sending out letters and I finally, it was about uh, September, maybe August, September. I, I got a got a call from a guy locally. I was only sending maybe 300 postcards to a small absentee owner list in the area, right. and then I had another list I was mailing, which turned into a deal last year that uh, that turned into a really awesome deal. I actually get the check for that today, one of the checks. Um, but uh, that uh, that's kind of what I was doing, and I landed that first deal in August, September, and then we closed in October, and then I sold it in December. So, okay, I wholetailed that one. I nice. tried to wholetail it, but I didn't really have a, much of a buyer's list then, so I ended up listing it out on the market and wholetailed it. So, do you care if we go into the details on that deal? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's an, it was an interesting deal. I learned a lot on that. <laughs> yeah. So break down the numbers for that deal because I, I think there's. There's a lot of interest in the wholetailing right now, and and I don't think people kind of really understand what that means. And to be honest with you, we haven't really dove into it too much here on the podcast. So uh, let's break down that deal. You know, what was the purchase price? Did you do any rehab at all? And then what was the sales price on that? Yeah. So so and I'll, I'll kind of explain wholetailing for those who don't understand. It's basically wholesaling, but you're putting it out on the MLS and you're retailing that deal but you're still basically selling to an investor in some cases i've sold some to owner occupants but you're mostly selling to investors there's a lot of old school investors out there who are still looking for deals on the mls and they have agents hunting for deals and they will buy they'll pay a lot more off the mls for your deals because they don't know about the whole off-market community and wholesalers and stuff like that so right but anyways let's we'll get into the numbers here so my, my first tip that I learned on that deal is always let the seller talk and they will tell you your price, their price. Absolutely. I was prepared to offer this guy about $50,000. I ran my numbers and, uh, you know, I was coming up with like an ARV of, um, around like 80 something thousand, but the play on this deal was actually as a rental. Uh, it was a little two bedroom, one bath. We call them mill houses here. Uh, there used to be a mill in the town near me and just a little two bedroom, one bath, tiny little houses that the mill workers would live in. Um, and uh, I kind of targeted those because they were really cheap, you know, to get started with. And um, and then I, I was going to offer him 50. And then I talked to the guy and he had a bunch of rentals, actually. Him and his mom had a bunch all around this area. And um, he turned into be a little sleazebag, but I'll get into that later. <laughs> um, but uh, he... Uh, I said, okay, well, you know, what, what's, what's the lowest you'll go on the house? And he said, um, probably, uh, probably about 35. And I said, well, could you go like 25? And he's like, well, I could probably do 30. So I said, okay, cool. I, can, I think I can do 30. And I, I, obviously between that time, I, I gave him about a day to stew on it. And then he called me back and said, hey, I can do 30. Um, I, let, I let him kind of plant that seed in his mind. And so I ended up getting it for thirty thousand, and um, I tried to wholesale it. I, I had some other friends send it out to their list. We didn't have any luck. Um, 
So what I ended up doing actually to get started is I cashed out a retirement account and I had all this cash sitting there and um, I don't necessarily recommend that for everyone, but I reviewed that with my CPA <laughs> before I did it. And, you know, he was like, look, you're going to pay taxes on it one way or another, whether you retire, or do it now. So <laughs> you right. make that determination. So I cashed it out and I ended up buying that house cash. Um, and uh, I quickly learned that you don't want to suck up all your cash because when your all your cash is sitting out there, you know, not, you know, it's all stuck in a deal. <laughs> it's a lonely feeling. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah. When you see those low numbers in your bank account and you're like, oh God. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, so I bought it cash and then we threw it out on the MLS. I didn't do anything to it. Uh, the first thing I learned with this deal was that always get everything in writing. There was a tenant in there and the first clue on this was he told me that the tenant was paying um, $600 a month in rent. No, the tenant was actually paying $400 a month in rent. He lied to me there. And then um, I, we had a verbal agreement that the tenant was going to be out by closing, and I didn't put that in the contract. Mm. And uh, I showed up the day of closing. I went, you know, We closed on it that morning, and the guy came in, grabbed his check, and he scooted out and was nowhere to be found and didn't answer his phone anymore. And um, I ran over to the house to go change the locks out, and all the tenant's stuff was there. And I'm like, oh, crap. There's, a, there's still a tenant here. Right. So then I had to turn around, hustle. I, I got in touch with him, and uh, I, I finally caught him the next day. And he was like, oh, yeah, so-and-so came by yesterday and collected the rent. I didn't even know he was selling it. So the guy actually stole money from me, basically. He went and collected wow. from the tenant that day that I bought it. And, um, and then, uh, I later found out he was stealing power from the power company. He had had the power company turn the power off and then he had somebody climb the pole and turn it back on. And then he was charging the tenant for electricity. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it turned out to be quite nice. I mean, but you, uh, you think about that. I mean, how crazy is it that he would go through the trouble to do all of that? Because I mean, you said the guy's paying $400 in rent, Like that's not even that much money. I can't believe someone would go to the trouble like yeah. to sell the property and still go collect $400 and try to steal electricity. I mean, that's just insane. I later found that he was an alcoholic and had a gambling problem and was basically, as he was selling off these properties, just kind of pissing all the money away on alcohol and gambling. So there you go. that's probably yeah. why. Um, but uh, yeah, we. Uh, what I did is I was like, crap, well, I got to get this tenant out. So in, in the state of Georgia, if they're on a month-to-month -month tenancy, you have to give them 60 days written notice to end the lease agreement. So I quickly went and wrote up a, you know, basically a, hey, a non-renewal notice. I brought it to the tenant and I said, hey, I'm selling this property. The, and my agent was there with me and we put a sign in the yard that day. I said, I'm selling the property. Um, I'm giving you 60 days notice you have till this date to be out. Um, and he said, okay, he signed it. And then we listed it out on the market and we dropped the price a few times. And I finally got a bite from an investor who lived up in North Georgia, like way up in North Georgia, who ended up wanting to buy it. And um, we contracted it for uh, $42.5. And um, we, uh, we ended up having to push closing out a few times because the tenant didn't like he said he was going to find a place. And then he kept coming to me like, oh, can you find me a place? I'm like, no, man, that's not my problem. You need to. You need to find a place like right. I can't do 60 days. So we ended up having to play a little shuffle around day 50 so I could get this thing closed because we pushed out closing twice. And I ended up doing a cash for keys with the tenant. And uh, I had to show up over at the house at like 
six o'clock in the morning because he worked really, really early in the morning and uh, did the walkout and the move out inspection. And he moved all his stuff out like in the middle of the night. I, I, I drove by there at 11 o'clock at night that night before, and he still hadn't moved everything out. He did it all between like midnight and 6 a.m., moved all of his stuff out into the moving truck. Wow. And uh, inspected it. Everything was good. We, I had him sign like a, like a lease agreement termination and everything. I gave him the cash. He gave me the keys and everyone was good. And then I closed that Monday. So um, that's kind of how it worked out. I think I ended up netting about, I don't know, about $9,000 after paying real estate commissions and attorney's fees and all that stuff. Right. So, uh, you know, that was my, I guess my first deal per se. I mean, I told you about that other one where I lost some money on that, but right. But yeah, that's the first deal where I made some money and uh, kind of like, okay, cool, I can do this. So when you were marketing it to wholesale it, what was the price when you were just trying to wholesale it to an investor? Was it forty two five? No, no, no. We I think we were throwing it out for uh, like thirty seven five. I think. So you actually netted more by closing on it and wholetailing it, which is a pretty common theme from yep. everybody that I've heard about wholetailing properties is you can actually get more on the market than you can just sending it out to your buyers list. Yep. You're absolutely right. So, so uh, yeah, it's pretty interesting, man. Uh, it, it, it's funny because you know, a lot of these stories, like on the first times you try a new strategy there, there always seems to be a, a couple of crazy things that happen where, you know, like on this one, you have the seller who's, you know, stealing rent from you and electricity, and then you got a tenant that won't move out and, it seems like those always happen on like those first couple of times to like test your will. Like, are you really going to do this? Are you going to figure out how to overcome these trials? You know, so it's funny how that works out. I've seen that in, in our business numerous times. So, yeah. so after you did that, you know, moving into 2017, did you, did you start wholesaling more properties or was it still kind of a part-time thing? Yeah, I mean, it was still, it, I was still doing it part-time. I was still working a full-time job all through 2017, but uh, I ended up closing out in 2017. I closed out seven deals throughout that year um, doing it part-time, um, and I, uh, yeah, I wholesaled a lot more that year. I wholesaled one later in the year. I actually wholesaled that one to a um, an owner-occupant buyer um, who ended up buying it. It was a house that really didn't need a lot of work. It was just a little dated, you know, it was built in the eighties. So it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't in bad shape by any means, but it, right. so I sold it to an owner occupant buyer. I, you know, quickly learned that the FHA flip rule is a pain in the butt in those lower, lower price points because I had to basically say no to, I mean, I had multiple offers the first day, but I couldn't accept an FHA offer because I have that 90 day flip rule. Yeah, well, and um, I uh, ended up got a got a kid that uh, had inherited some money, and he was a, a conventional buyer, and he was buying it for his first house, and he loved it, and it was perfect for him. He wanted to fix it up. It was it was awesome. So it all worked out great, and uh, did pretty good on that one. So, so real quick, I'll share my experience with the FHA flip rule, and, and by that that means you know an FHA buyer cannot purchase a house that was just sold 90 days before. So the owner of that property has to own it for 90 days before an FHA loan can close on it, or actually not even close. A contract cannot be executed on the property before the property has been owned for 90 days or longer. So right. uh, kind of our FHA hack that we've used 
Um, if you get a strong FHA offer and you cannot accept it because you've only owned it, say, 15 to 30 days, um, which is the example that I'm using, it was a very quick flip. We had only owned it for two weeks and we received our best offer was the FHA offer. And by best offer, I mean it was the highest price. So it was the one that I wanted to accept. But we knew we couldn't and it didn't make sense for us to own the property for you know another 45 days before we accept this offer and then we have to wait the 30 to 45 days to close that just didn't make sense we would rather accept a lower offer and just move yep. but what we did do is we went to that agent and said hey we can't accept this because it's an fha loan can you go to your buyer and ask them if they're willing to go get a conventional loan and they did they went to their loan officer and that loan officer made a, a change in the loan and got a conventional loan for them and they closed the the same closing date that they put in the offer so Perfect. Um, i don't know if that's going to happen very often but the one time i've asked and and you know i was told very early when i got into real estate investing if you don't ask the answer is always no you're right and so uh we've kind of lived by that and and sometimes you you feel really dumb asking certain questions but you know like when we did it uh, my partner cassie and i kind of argued about it for like half an hour because we were like that's dumb there's a reason why they're getting an fha loan they probably don't have enough for a down payment and but sure enough it was like well what's the worst that can happen because we're just going to accept somebody else's offer so we might as well give them a chance and sure enough, you know, half a day later, they had a different loan that could close on our property. So uh, always ask because otherwise the answer is always no. Perfect. So, yeah. So in 2017, you did seven deals and then that's and I'm assuming just off of seven deals, um, those seven deals, the, the profit that you made off of those were probably pretty close to what you were making on an annual salary at your corporate job, right? Almost, yeah. I think it was just, you know, maybe 10 grand shy of what I was making annual salary. So, yeah. Right. So yep. that, that probably gave you some confidence going into 2018. Like, yep. okay, I, I think this is going to be the right decision for me because you were giving very part-time effort to it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, when I was, I was doing deals while I was at work and, you know, my performance was slipping at work because I was always on the phone and that was when I grew to love doing pay-per-click marketing because I could actually manage that lead flow through pay-per-click while right. I was still working a job. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it gave me the confidence that, Hey man, I can do this. And, uh, it also gave my wife confidence. I mean, I would have probably quite a long time ago if I wasn't married, you know, I had to, it was, it was hard to kind of convince my wife cause she's a very risk averse person, um, to, that I, that I can do this. And I think she saw it and had faith in me. And, and we had kind of set a goal, I guess it was probably like September, October, like, Hey, at the end of this year, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go full time at this and I'm going to give it a stab. And, uh, and I did. So it's funny. Like I made the decision to go full time into real estate investing in January of 2015. I don't know why I waited till January. I look back at it and I'm like, why didn't I make the decision in August when I knew yep. there's something like mental, like, okay, I'm going to wait till the start of the year because that's when everything's going to change in my life. And looking back, I'm like, why did I waste those four months? I should have just made the decision when I knew I was going to make the decision. It's funny yeah. how we, you know, we work like that. And so, I kind of held out till January because I, 
thought I was going to get my bonus from my corporate job. And uh, they ended up having some loophole that said after I put in my notice, they're like, oh, because you're not there on the day of the payout, you don't get your bonus. I'm like, well, I worked here for all of 2017. Nope, sorry, this is our rule. So I ended up not getting my bonus. So I waited all that time for nothing. (laughs) That makes it even worse. But but now here you are, you know, and now you're full time. So uh, for everybody that's thinking about making that change, what is the difference now that you're full-time into real estate investing and, and what kind of advice would you give people that are making that change? To make that change, you, you got to have faith, right? You just got to take that jump and you just got to do it. Um, and it's nothing's ever going to be perfect. And, and RJ, I know you have kids and we, you know, I have kids like, right. It, you're never like totally ready to do something. Like when you had kids, you weren't totally ready to do it. You just did it. And then, and then things worked out, right? It's yep. the same with this. You just take the jump, just do it and uh, have some faith, you know, set up a little financial runway there, but, but don't, don't set up too much of a cushion because you need something to give you a little kick in the pants. Right. So like me losing out on that bonus was like, Oh crap. Like I got to hustle a little bit harder, you know, cause I was, hoping that money was coming and then it didn't. And then, um, and then also like you just, you just have to, um, you know, build some systems out and like understand how you can, like I, I sat down at the beginning and kind of built out like some systems on how I'm going to map out the year and, and make things easier and how I'm going to scale it. Um, so that's, you know, that's, I guess my tip for everybody. Yeah. I, I love that analogy of being a parent and becoming a parent because I think everybody that's had kids um, understands that feeling, like especially, you know, on the on the way to the hospital, you know, I, I was freaked out the, before Trinity was born. It was like, I'm not ready to be a dad. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And and unfortunately for me, I had lost my dad a month before my son was born. Oh, my God. So I was even more, like, freaked out because I was like, I don't have my dad to call and ask questions to. But very quickly, I realized, like, hey, I'm I'm Trinity's dad. Like, he, even as a baby, just looked at me with those eyes of, like, I was his leader he, he knew that I was there to take care of him. And, uh, you know, very quickly you realize like, okay, I can do this and, and I'm going to be successful with this. Uh, he's still alive. I, I haven't killed him yet. And, uh, and, uh, it, it's just one of those same feelings as an entrepreneur, as you get started, that first deal that you, you know, you make. And for you, um, you know, you already had several deals under your belt, so you knew you could do it. It was just, could you do it enough to, you know, supplement your income like you had with the salary and uh and i know that's also tough because in 2017 not only did you make your salary at your your company or your corporate job but you were also making you know profit off of those seven wholesale deals that you did yep so going off of 2017 going into 2018 it's like you know you don't want there to be a a huge income drop right um but you know now that you're here full time um do you, do you find yourself overwhelmed or do you find yourself having too much time on your hands because you were, you were used to not having enough time with the full-time job in 2017? You know, at the beginning of the year, it was a little slow. 
January, February, March was really slow and I was really shaking in my boots there. And then it, I mean, it just crazy picked up. Now I'm overwhelmed. I'm actually right after we get off this call, I'm running down today and I'm going to start training uh, an acquisitions manager that I'm hiring to start running appointments for me. Um, because I've been ramping up marketing so much to get more leads. And then this time of year, things really just pick up, um, that I just can't, uh, you know, uh, leads are falling through the cracks and I'm not following up like I should on my old leads. So that's why I'm hiring someone to do that for me. So I can keep focusing on, on building the business. You know, that's one thing you and I are both in investor fuel. Investor fuel is about building a business and a system. So you have freedom and you're not just stuck in another job. So we got to make our sacrifices early and, you know, you know, do, wear a lot of hats and I'm wearing a lot of hats right now. I hired a VA a few months ago. That was nice to not have to do a lot of that administrative work. I'm going to hire this, um, this acquisitions manager and probably my, my goal for the next 90 days, I, I, I recorded this at our last investor fuel meeting. That's something we do in our, in our group is we record our goals for the next 90 days and we've got a video of us saying them. So we have to do them. Right. Um, my goal is to hire like an admin assistant of some sort to kind of, cause I'm a real scatterbrained, like high level kind of guy, like details are not my thing. So I need somebody to focus on details for me. And that's why I'm going to hire some sort of admin assistant in the next 90 days or so. Once I get this acquisitions manager kind of onboarded and comfortable, then I can focus on hiring that next position and just keep taking hats off one by one. And then eventually end up like our friend Jamie who sits by the pool every day, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, yeah, I love Jamie. Yeah, she she was on the, the podcast a couple of months ago. And so for anyone who listened to Jamie Woolley's interview, Things have changed in Jamie's business. She has now basically uh, replaced herself out of the business, and she just sits by pool. So uh, if you're listening to this, shoot Jamie a, a message and say, hey, I'm really jealous of you sitting by the pool today. I'm sure she'll she'll love that. You can find her on uh, Facebook. So I love giving Jamie a hard time about that. <laughs> so you, you mentioned a couple of um, – systems and processes that you put in your business why don't you give the listeners a couple of systems either a crm or or something that you're using that has really impacted your business and and made things easier for you you know what i found the easiest thing to do and this is how i found to um help my va is i just basically use quick time you know i, I use a macbook i switched to a mac this year um mm -hmm that move to the dark side and I really like it. Um, but <laughs> I, I use QuickTime and I just record, I do screen capture recordings and I just record all the things I do and I narrate why I do all those steps. So now like for my VA to like build all these lists for me that we're mailing to and, and I'm about to start cold calling these two, I, I just give them the video and I upload it to a Google Drive folder and I say, here's how you do this. And you know, I've created a system for my return mail where I just, I, I drop by the mailbox, um, you know, once or twice a week, I have like a UPS store mailbox and I get the return mail and I just lay it out on the ground or the car seat or wherever. And I snap a picture of it and I upload that picture to the Google drive folder and I shoot him an email and say, Hey, there's a new picture up there. And he knows what to do. He goes in and he skip traces all those addresses and finds the new addresses. Um, so I built a system for that. Um, for my new, hold on. I, I want to stop you right there yeah. because I, I, <laughs> Uh, you just you dropped a, a beautiful tip there. And so for anybody that doesn't know this, and, and I think, Brad, this is funny. This is the power of going to a mastermind like Investor Fuel, okay? 
Uh, Brad kind of just dropped something beautiful there that maybe he doesn't even realize how uh, <laughs> huge of a tip it is. But a lot of investors don't know what to do with their return mail. Yep. And and a lot of investors don't do anything with it. What Brad's talking about is is when he gets his return postcards, he's then sending those addresses to his VA to skip trace them. And then are you mailing to different addresses or are you cold calling them then? Uh, on the ones where it's just an address change, I just mail to them. On the ones where we find that the owner is deceased, then I'll then I'll like try to find them and call them. And I've got two deals in the works right now that are still going through probate where um, that's what we did. I just called a bunch of numbers and I finally found somebody and the guy's like, yeah, we want to sell it. It's going through probate right now. It'll be done soon. Cause a lot of times you'll find there there's a return mail because the person is deceased and that's right. why the mail's kicking back because they don't, they don't obviously don't live there anymore. The house is right. vacant. And, uh, it, and, but, but if you look at the return mail, it doesn't always say vacant on the return mail sticker. It may just say not deliverable, you know, so right. you can't really differentiate that. But if you skip trace them and you can see in the system, oh, this person passed away last year or whenever. Right. Um, and I had already trained my, my VA on like how to use, um, skip tracing, uh, the, the program that I use or whatever. And cause he was doing it for like probate stuff anyways, we pull our own probate leads for certain counties here where we can get them online and then kind of skip trace that way. So he already knew how to do that. I just said, all right, do this for the return mail too. So, right. Uh, and, and guys, those can be some of the best leads that you can ever get uh, on the return mail when you skip trace it, because it, you basically what you're doing is, is you're finding, you know, a lot of investors are going to probably mail the same list that Brad's mailing and I'm mailing on a regular basis. It's who takes it a step further to go find those people that the mailers are not making it to. And that's what the power of the skip trace. And then to be honest with you, I've, I've found the, the ones that are the most profitable are the ones like he's talking about where maybe the previous owner was deceased and then you find the relative and you skip trace them and then you cold call them. Um, obviously, you know, be respectful of the situation, but that, that property could be a huge burden on them and they don't know what to do with it. And you're solving that problem for them. And uh, a lot of times those can be some of the most profitable uh, leads that, that we get. And, and honestly, I, I've sat in rooms with hundreds of investors. And the majority of them say, I don't do anything with my return mail. We just put it in a basket or we throw it in the trash. And they've been doing that for 10, you know, 10 years plus. So yep. great tip, Brad. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Yeah. Um, I want to wrap up the interview by kind of, I've, I always think it's important to dive into why we do what we do as entrepreneurs and real estate investors. So why don't you share with us what your why is and your driving force behind becoming an entrepreneur and creating your business? You know, my, my why is, is freedom to spend time with my boys. You know, since I've had kids, it, it completely changes your world. And like, I want to, to spend time with them. And one of the goals I set years ago was I want to be there when my kids get off the school bus, when they start school every day. And they haven't started school yet. My oldest is three and a half. So I got a couple more years before he starts kindergarten. But I, I take them to school every morning and I pick them up every day about 430. So I get to, you know, I get to 
to be there with my boys and, and spend time with them. And that, and I want to build this, this business into a true business where I can take all the hats off and I can go, you know, one of my goals. And, and I think I had said this in investor fuel before you had joined RJ, but I want to buy an RV, a travel trailer and just literally like hit the road and just live on the road for a year or so. Um, or maybe more and just basically be location independent and, do whatever I want to do when I want to do, you know, that, that's, that's my goal. And that's my why is to just for freedom. You know, if I want to sit in the garage and, and work on a car all day or, you know, do whatever, I've got time to do that. And I'm not chained to a, to a business or to a job or, you know, so that's well, my why. Well, my next question is going to be, where do you want to be in five years? But I think you just answered it. You want to be in an RV traveling the United States, right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to do that. And, I, you know, my, my I guess my long-term play is to kind of get into multifamily and commercial, like cash flow properties, really. I mean, at the end of the day, like cash flow is king. So right. I'm going to use this money generated from this business to buy cash flowing assets, whether that's apartments or commercial properties or whatever, to, to, to have long-term cash flow. So in five years, I'd like to own at least a couple apartment complexes at that point and, and be on the road or be wherever, or, you know, be at the beach for the summer or, you know, whatever, you know, just do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know? Love it, man. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Uh, for the listeners who want to reach out and contact you, what's the best way they can reach you? Um, you know, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Brad Woodall on Facebook, um, on Instagram, Brad K Woodall, um, and then, you know, obviously my company pages, Arbor View Properties, um, on both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, those are really the best ways to get in touch with me there. So, Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time, and we very much appreciate you uh, sharing your story. And uh, best of luck to you, and uh, I, I can't wait to watch your company grow over the next couple of years at Investor Fuel. Yeah, man, you as well. Thanks for, thanks for your time, RJ. It was great chatting with you. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening to the Titanium Vault with your host, RJ Bates III. For more info and to stay up to date, visit www.podcast.thetitaniumvault.com and on facebook.com slash thetitaniumvault. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate and review, and we'll catch you next time on the Titanium Vault. Titanium Vault.